Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And today, it is time for another Feminist Movie Friday. And we're doing quite the undertaking for this I was one. I was Feminist <laughs> Movies Friday. Yes, yes. Good point, because we are talking about the Matrix series... So that being Matrix, Matrix Reloaded, Matrix Revolutions, Matrix Resurrections, not the Animatrix, because this is already quite long. But (laughs) that means there will be spoilers for the newest Matrix Resurrections in here. Pretty, a lot of spoilers. So if you want to watch it first, don't want to be spoiled, you can come back. We'll be here. We'll be waiting. And it is on HBO Max for those who have it. Yes. It is. It is. All of them. All of them is on it. Yeah. I think the animated version too. Which I watched them all yesterday for work. And I was quite shocked at how much I remembered of them. Because I loved them. I loved them when I was young. And I just would watch them all the time. We actually, Samantha and I, (laughs) we went to see this in theaters before we realized just how terrible Omicron was. We went in the middle of the day on a weekday with masks, so it wasn't crowded by any means, but still, like a week later, (laughs) we were like, uh. (laughs) We've done this a couple of times now. We have, like, not realizing how bad it was, and then we're like, Mm -hmm. oh, damn. That was risky. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, But if we hadn't have gone, we would have missed out on this interaction we had with this dude who saw saw the movie with us. Um, not with us, but he was in the theater. And afterwards, he was so excited. He told us all of his thoughts about, about these movies and about how he was in a cult and how these movies helped him get out of a cult. And then Samantha and I were like, huh, I guess there's a lot we could talk about when it comes to these movies and feminism, which we'll get to the cult part <laughs> in a bit, but basically the whole red pill thing. So yeah, there is, there really is a lot right. in these movies for us to discuss. Right. And just as a reminder, there's a lot of mixed reviews about the mm. new one. Well, I'll speak for myself. I liked it a lot and I liked the new taking on and I feel like it was a progression for a reason and we'll talk about that in a bit. Mm-hmm. And just a reminder that the Matrix being successful does not mean that the other two were that successful. They weren't not not successful, but they right. weren't as loved. As the oh, original. yeah. For sure. I actually, as I said, I was watching these uh, yesterday and having all these memories because I was in middle school when they were coming out. Yeah, with the new, the two new ones, I was in middle school. And uh, I remember getting in a fight with a good friend of mine at the time who told me that they sucked. Um, and I was totally uncool for liking them. And I remember having the worst comeback of like, you you have bad taste. <laughs> anyway. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> yes, but yeah, the point being, they were definitely not as loved as the first one. Also, I was telling Samantha the story of when because I was in middle school, I had to, we had to find an adult to take us to the rated R movie. And we convinced her dad, who was very conservative in a lot of ways, to take us to this movie. And I, she made me sit next to him. And I'd forgotten how long of an orgy scene there is in that movie. 
but the memories came flooding back yesterday when I was watching it. So, oh God. Yeah, and I like that my interpretation because I watched it a little while later on a very small TV and I guess I wasn't paying attention as much as I should have. Didn't realize it was an actual orgy scene. Thought it was just a mm. dance party. I was like, what's going on? Why is everybody calling this dance party an orgy? Mm-hmm. And then later on, I'm seeing all the boobs. I was like, oh, there's a lot of boobage in this movie. Yes. There's also an orgasm. There's two orgasm scenes. Um, but there, that one is taking place during the orgy. And I just remember the, like dread and trying to focus on the screen and act as if everything was totally normal. (laughs) (laughs) Don't overreact. Yes, exactly. Um, But I did, I loved these movies. I loved them. I had all these posters all over my walls. Um, I had a huge crush on Keanu Reeves. I took a picture with a like Polaroid camera that would print it out like right away, you know, of him in that movie and just had it on my mirror. My first, like, username was Neo's Angel. Oh, So wait, were you in love with Neo or Keanu? Neo, I guess, because he actually... um, I had seen him in Point Break when I was far too young to watch that movie, and it scared me. (laughs) 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 It really scared me. Um, uh, so yeah, it yeah. was more Neo. Yeah, but I did. It was a huge crush. Oh my God. <laughs> I like you're fanning yourself right now. I know, I know. I just remember I'd like lie awake at night and I would listen to the soundtrack on repeat and just think of how cute Neo was. It's a fine, he cuts a fine figure. I was watching it yesterday like, mm-hmm. Uh, I also, I won a costume contest when I went as Trinity. I think I was in seventh grade. The same friend who told me that I was very silly for liking the the Reloaded and Revolutions got mad at me for this, too, because she said the only reason I won was because everybody liked The Matrix and not because my costume was good. But whatever. (laughs) Sounds like she's not a good friend. (laughs) We had a few few falling outs in our day. (laughs) I'm not saying she was wrong, but still, come on now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But anyway, uh, my point being, these had a huge impact on me. I loved them. And they did it. They had a pretty big impact on a lot of people and on our culture and society at large. It really did. Let's just jump into this. You ready? Yes. So because Annie and I are two very different people and you know this, I will be taking on the three originals because I felt like I could sum it up a little (laughs) sooner, quicker. (laughs) Uh, Uh Not necessarily. So this is my rendition. And I will say, uh, the blessed hit of Matrix, which was released in 1999. I have so many fond memories myself, uh, especially of our friend group watching this on repeat. And now I was a senior in high school. So you and I are very different grades. um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, I thought you were a child because I was a high school, leaving high school. Uh, But... (laughs) We loved this movie to the point that we had a high school friend who resembled Keanu Reeves a lot, like his face, everything, enough so that we would call him Neo. And when we would redo some of the iconic fight scenes, yes, we acted them out. Um, He would be the ultimate Neo. Uh, But obviously, we're not here to completely reminisce, but a little Mm. bit, a little bit. (laughs) So the movie was released in 1999 and was and still a much-loved, successful film. 
All of these movies were written and directed by sisters Lily and Lana Wachowski, uh, starring Keanu Reeves as Neo, Carrie Ann Moss as Trinity, Lawrence Fishburne as Morpheus, Hugo Weaving as Mr. Smith or Agent Smith, um, and Mm -hmm. then, of course, so many others. But those are the four that you will see on repeat. The movie starts with one of the most memorable fight scenes to date. A badass Trinity is looking into finding, quote, him when ambushed by local officers and some special agents, what we now know as sentients, or uh, who are in the Matrix to come after Mm. certain peoples. Mm -hmm. And though it isn't new, the effects and, and the overall, like, digital uh, art of it all are still mesmerizing and brings a lot of discussion and awe. Like, we still talk about how they did it, how they do it still, and how Mm -hmm. it is mimicked repeatedly. Um, Heavily influenced by martial arts and anime and other old Asian uh, martial arts movies, Uh, the Wachowskis bring in some of the best trainers and martial artists, including famed Hong Kong martial arts coordinator and fighter Yuen Wuping, who was sought out for all three of the movies, um, and he is very picky, by the way, when you see interviews about doing Hollywood movies at all. Really was taken with this one and so came to be a part of it. And you can tell by the styles. And from what I understand, he tailored each fighting style to that person. Um, so he would watch them and see who they were and taught them based on who they were. Like he said of Moss specifically, like she had feminine uh, agility and, and, and a lot of grace. So he tailored the moves to her. Um, and apparently all of them got injured. All of them got injured throughout. Yes. Keanu Reeves was in the hospital for yes. like a herniated disc that he was like, I almost fell over in the shower, which I feel like was replicated in the new movie, but whatever. <laughs> he insisted that there be a cartwheel in there. And every time I watch the first one and he does that cartwheel, it kind of makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, he just I wanted that. To do it. Because he herniated his disc and couldn't do a lot of leg moves, you don't see many kicks from him. And that is purposeful mm. because of his injuries. Same mm-hmm. with Hugo Weaving because he had a hip injury. And so you Ooh. see a lot of fisticos of the two of them. Uh-huh. And then also, you know, back to, again, uh, the fighting scene with Moss. And that is the infamous roof fight scene where she, you know, the whole your agents are already dead line yep. happens. Uh-huh. Um, and these stunts were actually done by Moss. Uh, and she did it well. Although she also got injured and had to stop halfway through with all, a lot of doing her own stunts. Mm. Boo. Um, <laughs> back to the plot. After narrowly escaping the agents, we find out that they are looking for him, otherwise known as Neo, otherwise known as The One, a.k.a. Thomas Anderson, what we know of him in The Matrix. Thomas Anderson is a hacker slash also like a programmer who is contacted by a mysterious person through the interwebs about The Matrix. After doing some shady things, see shady dealings, we see him being led by The White Rabbit to a very lively EDM bar rave where he is approached by the one and only Trinity, who he assumed was a man because of the badass reputation of Trinity. Wrong. Here we find out Mr. Anderson is looking for something, someone. And this includes the infamous Morpheus. Um, The next day, he finds that not only is he in trouble with his workplace, because, you know, he's overslept, but he's being hunted, uh, but has warnings thanks to the mysterious package that arrives with the oh-so-cool sliding phone that we all wanted. I wanted (laughs) it. I wanted it bad. Yeah. (laughs) And this is even before I had a a freaking cell phone. Like, this is way before. I I didn't have one at that point. 
Yeah, the technology so he, was fun. <laughs> oh, so good. So he's instructed on how to escape the agents, but loses his nerves when he's told to go out the window on the platform onto the uh, window washing platform. And he is arrested, taken into questioning where some weird things happen, like his mouth disappearing and him being injected with a very terrifying creature through his belly button. Nightmares. Mm-hmm. Later, he wakes thinking maybe it's a dream, but a phone call from Morpheus, who instructs to get him to go out and meet up with the crew, makes him think otherwise, uh, and there he starts to learn the truth. After getting rid of the very real bug from his belly, he finally meets Orpheus, who offers him an explanation with a red pill, which will free you to see the truth, the blue pill, which will put you back to what you've always known. After taking the red pill, he's soon released and comes to the, quote, real world. The real world. After an intense birthing scene, really intense birthing scene, he is repaired, adjusted for the new view on the real world. The world is not what we know it, but has been destroyed after years of war against the AIs and machines who've come to being and have become self-aware. He discovers that they, the humans, are nothing more than batteries, energy for the machines to live by, but there's a small group of humans who have either awakened slash unplugged or have been born into this world, which is much, much later, and are fighting against the machines. And it is here that Morpheus revealed that there's a prophecy of the one and that Neo is that one, the one. After several action-packed scenes and obvious bad guy traitor scene, we then get to meet the Oracle, the one who has foreseen Neo and the possibility of winning the war. After meeting with the Oracle, which reveals that Neo has the potential to be the one, he's not. But that Morpheus also, by the way, would sacrifice himself for Neo and that Neo would have to choose between him or Morpheus. Mm-hmm. Am I doing okay with this? <laughs> After returning to the check exit point, we see that a deja vu or a glitch has occurred and they are attacked by the agents, again, the sentients, um, and other law enforcement. Morpheus sacrifices himself in order for the rest of the team to lead Neo out and is caught by Agent Smith. We see Cypher, the traitor that we were talking about, running away from the rest of the team, arriving back to the exit point earlier than them. And after being unplugged, he proceeds to sabotage the rest of the team, killing three of the members. But before he could kill Neo, Tank, who is one of the operators of the ship, shoots and kills Cypher. At this point, Neo and Trinity return to the ship, but quickly come up with a plan to rescue Morpheus. After getting all kinds of armed up, they go to find Morpheus, who has been tortured and questioned by the agents to find the human location of Zion. And here we see the powerhouse scene on the roof with the very talked about bullet time scene, which I did not know was a real thing. Yeah, you didn't know that? I didn't. I thought they were just making stuff up in the new one, and I was like, oh, that's a real thing. Okay. I didn't (laughs) know. Uh, Which shows that Neo is as fast as the agents, which is not a usual thing for the humans. We also get to see Trinity flying a helicopter and then jumping out of it after they successfully rescue Morpheus. Alas, as they make it to their exit point, through phones, by the way, just in case I didn't put this in there, by landlines. Uh, Neo is thwarted once again by the persistent Agent Smith. We have another epic fight scene with a finger throat punch, boom, and of course trains. After Neo (laughs) once again kicks Agent Smith's booty, who runs trying to find another exit point, all as he almost makes it, we find Agent Smith on the other side of the door and Neo is shot down. But wait, the Oracle also predicted that Trinity would fall in love with the one and she knew he couldn't die and woke him up with a power of love and a kiss. Yes. And just in time, too, because at this point we have the squids, which are the machines that are sent to destroy the ships and kill the humans, but can be stopped by a massive EMP, but can't be used when someone is plugged in the system. 
And after miraculously coming to life, Neo not only defies death, but can stop bullets, go incredibly fast, and jump into the body of the agent and make them explode. Neo was able to return just in time to use the EMP, EMP, electric magnetic pulse, mm. and kill off the squids and kiss the girl, of course. And we end the, at this amazing film with Neo talking to the machines, letting them know he was here to fight and to warn them that he would find them. Also, then he flies away because... Yeah. Of course. Of course. <laughs> so, what these movies are so difficult to explain. <laughs> I know you probably felt this too, but when I was trying to like describe it and condense it, I was like, this, if you haven't seen this, this makes no sense. <laughs> you know what I love though? And I, re- mm. I meant to do this at the beginning and I kind of forgot is to just give a one line explanation of the movie as yeah. ridiculously and simplified as it could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I find that hilarious. And honestly, we really can't. So this is almost that level. Me going through very quickly <laughs> mm-hmm. on this level of what I know. Because this is all from the brain, y'all. This is all from Ooh. the brain. Here we go with Reloaded. And I was trying to condense the two of them together. I'm like, I really can't. I really can't. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we are also talking about The Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions. Reloaded was released in 2003. And I was telling Annie, this is my very Christian portion of, like, don't watch rated R movies. So I missed out on the initial, which is also Mm -hmm. why, again, I think I missed out on the orgy scene. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And though it didn't get the level of notoriety as the original, it was considered successful and still overall well accepted, even broke the record for the highest grossing R-rated film until 2016 with the release of Deadpool. And BT Dub, six months later, Revolutions was released. So it was like a back-to-back Yeah, they're kind of like a one long story in two movies. Yeah. Yeah, it's not as officially ended like the first one did. Right. So for Reloaded, we have the original four, but this time we we're adding Jada Pinkett Smith as Niobe, and instead of Tank we or Dozer, we have the brother-in-law, Link. New programs added into the movie are the Merovingian, played by Lambert Wilson, and Persephone, played by Monica Bellucci. Other key characters to know, the Keymaker, the Architect, and Seraph, who, by the way, was originally offered to Jet Li, but he refused because he didn't want his martial arts technique to be digitally on record so that they couldn't reuse it. And that's a big question that we should talk about how they were able to do so, because the new one took a lot of liberties in extracting old movies and old things on on record that they have to reuse. Uh, So that's a question. So Jet Li wasn't wrong. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when he decided yeah. not to do this. <laughs> but anyway, so back to the world of Matrix. We are now back here, but uh, we see the bigger picture. The war is brewing between the machines and the humans of Zion. Their intel is that the sentience should arrive at, at Zion in 72 hours. At this time, we meet the different captains of Zion, including one-time love interest of Morpheus, Niobe. They are all being called back by the commander, Commander Locke, who is the current love interest of Niobe and seems to have a bit of bad blood with Morpheus. Mm-hmm. Morpheus requests one crew to stay behind to wait for the Oracle, and they agree against the wishes of the commander. And all the while, we see that former Agent Smith is back and gives a gift to Neo, which was the earpiece, uh, and said that he has been freed. And then there's a new fight scene with several agents against Neo. Um, later, mm-hmm. the different ships return to Zion. Here, we finally see the place that now holds the entire human population. Lots of discussion is had over the fact that Neo is 
the one, and many flock to him, but all he wants is time alone with Trinity. But first, there are meetings to be had discussing the incoming dangers and what to do next. BT dubs, while several also believe that Neo is the savior that they've been waiting for, many don't believe this um, and sees Morpheus as an eccentric. So, after an awkward orgy scene um, and a love scene with Trinity and Neo, we come back to the crew leaving to go meet with the Oracle. In between all of this, we can find that Smith has been able to infect others with his rogue programming and are changing others to be like him or to be him. And he enters Zion by taking over another human's consciousness and is now one of the bodies of the humans and enters the real world. Neo, after a battle with the Oracle's new bodyguard, Seraph, to prove himself, meets up with the Oracle, then discusses the future as well as the fact that she herself is a program, and uh, with hesitation, he doesn't know whether or not to trust her, questions all of these things. He still listens as she instructs him to find the keymaker who is being held by the Merovingian, again, a rogue program. After getting this information, Neo encounters the many Smiths and how he is able to clone himself, and he even attempts to take over Neo, but fails. Uh, after the long battle, he's able to meet up with Trinity and Morpheus, who then proceed to meet with the Merovingian, who is a pompous cheater that refuses to give up the Keymaker. But his cheating ways has made his wife Persephone retaliate and help the trio after she makes Neo kiss her as if she was Trinity. Super awkward as well. They mm-hmm. soon find the Keymaker, who's been waiting for them, uh, and make a very exciting battle exit, which leads Neo to the highest snowy mountains while Trinity and Morpheus have to battle all the canceled creatures like ghosts and vampires and etc. <laughs> we go to witness the exciting freeway chase, which ends with Neo flying to Morpheus and the Keymaker's rescue, literally flying and picking them up. They later make mm-hmm. a plan to find the source so that Neo could stop the war, which includes uh, the two ships that had been sent by the council to retrieve Neo and the said crew because, you know, they weren't supposed to be gone this long. It's also during this time we see Neo request Trinity stay out of the Matrix in fear for her life as he has seen her death in his dreams, and she agrees. Mm-hmm. But of course, things go wrong as one crew accidentally uh, dies, which throws off the elaborate plan to turn off the power and break into the connection for the source. Oh yeah, and Smith once again arrives to fight Neo. But they do make it, although killing the keymaker, which I was like, oh, that seems like a senseless death, but okay. Neo confronts the <laughs> architect who explains that he is actually, Neo is actually one of six the ones, and that he is simply a part of the program and really not that special. He's chosen to help the humans survive from complete extinction and not to stop the war. And after a long explanation of how the system has been working for years, and this is, was merely a normal planned moment in the system, Neo is given the choice of returning to Zion to choose the few who would survive and repopulate the system or rescue Trinity, because Trinity has now had to come in and help the whole situation or everybody would have died. Thank you, Trinity. Mm-hmm. And of course, <laughs> Neo chooses to save Trinity, even bringing her back to life after dying. Uh, they return to the real world to find that things have gone wrong, including the machines coming after them. And after they rush off the now-destroyed ship, Neo finds that he can stop the Sentinels with his thoughts, but then passes out. And the crew is saved by another ship, and that's the end. Yeah, that to be concluded. It was I forgot how much that burns. <laughs> cliffhanger that you had to wait on for six months as he passes out and everybody just stands there like, what do we do? Yeah, and then he's in the Agent Smith possessed body is right next to him in the hospital and they don't yeah, know. They're sitting next to each other. Boom, boom. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, so let's jump into the revolution. 
which is, again, by all of these same people. Uh, and we come to what we thought was the conclusion of the story. This movie was the least successful of the three, but still made $427 million in box office worldwide and was the first live-action movie to be released both in the regular and IMAX theaters. So a really big moment here, Mm y'all. And though this was the third film and last one until recently, there's plenty of material, including video games and animated stories of The Matrix. So they kept going. It keeps going. Oh, I played that video game. I played that game. Did you win? (laughs) Uh, no, I think, so the video game I played takes place between, like, during Reloaded and then between them, but I remember it has actual cutscenes in it. So, like, I mean, cutscenes as in Hugo Weaving, the actor not animated, is in it. Wow. And he has this scene, I, I think about it all the time, where he's, like, all the Agent Smiths are coming out into the hall, and he's, like... I am the alpha to your omega, the beginning to your end. <laughs> he true. was so good. He, like, chewed on that role. <laughs> he I leaned mean, into it. I mean, it kind of defined him. To see him in another trilogy later on was like, what? He's nice? What? Yes. Really freaked me out. Yeah. Okay, but back to mm-hmm. with Neo in a coma, and they are down several ships, including uh, Captain Niobe's ship and crew. They haven't found them yet. They were able to find another, but only had one surviving passenger, as the EMP had been detonated, killing everyone else around them. Yep, you guessed it. It's Smith slash Bane, who we see laying there, uh, who is also in a coma. While Zion is preparing for an impending attack by the machines, we have the rest of the crew trying to get back to Zion. Soon we find that Niobe and her crew are alive, but their ship is down. With the help of the others, they get the ship running again. But as they plan to make their way back, trying to get back to the Battle of Zion, Morpheus receives a message from Seraph, who has a message from the Oracle about Neo. Neo, we find, is currently stuck in a train station in nowhere. Here we meet Sati, who is another rogue program, and her parents who have secured a passage to take her back to the Matrix instead of deletion. All the while, Morpheus, Trinith, and Seraph, after being informed of Neo's location and who holds his key to freedom, the Merovingian, he's back, try to negotiate Neo's return, which ends up being a hostile moment. Uh, Neo tries to board the train, but is not allowed as the conductor works for the Merovingian and is stuck. So he's just stuck. But... We soon see that Trinity is willing to take everyone down, including herself, to get to Neo and wins and is reunited with Neo. Happy (laughs) days. Before returning to the real world, though, he meets up with the Oracle one last time where he sees Sati again as she is with her now. Um, And Oracle has changed her form due to the need to hide and all the dangers. Here she talks about the real danger of Smith and his plan to take down the real world and the Matrix. She talks about the fact that they're in one and the same or rather opposites and the same, kind of like the Alpha and the Omega. And soon after Neo leaves, we see Smith taking over all the people there, including the Oracle. That means he also has premonitions now. Yes. Upon their return, we find the rest of the captains and crews trying to find a way to make it back to Zion. They are aware that the uh, machines are coming. Bane Smith wakes up, kills the crew member after being questioned and saying he didn't remember what happened. Uh, Neo asks to how to take a ship to the machine city so that as he now knows that he needs to be there and not in Zion. So they're trying to separate. After a little bit of an argument, Niobe gives him her ship as she, too, had a visit with the Oracle, and though not a believer in the One, believes in Neo. 
As they part ways, we see that Bane has snuck on the ship with Neo and the other crew members discover the body of the one who was killed. Oh no! Um, though they now know mm-hmm. Neo is in danger, they had to continue their way to Zion or it will be too late. So, ruh row. Neo and Trinity are ambushed by Bane slash Smith, who, uh, Bane, who Neo discovers as Smith, and we have another great scene with Neo being blinded and killing Bane in the most explosive type of manner. But it's okay, because now Neo can truly see. So we're good. But Trinity Mm. now has to pilot the ship. As they make their way to the Machine City, we get to see the beautiful sky for a second, but then they plummet back down. As they make their way into the center, they crash, which kills Trinity slowly, by the way, but she's able to confess her love to Neo as she takes her final breath. Back to Mm -hmm. the other captains and the hammer, which is the ship they're currently on, with Niobe at the helm, they fly through perilous ways as they're being attacked and the Sentinels are trying to stop them from returning to Zion. But we see all the action happening on on the docks as well of Zion trying to keep the machines out of the main city. So many die trying to fend off the many, many machines. But they hear that the hammer is coming and the team up to open the way for the hammer to come in. Niobe's skilled piloting brings them in, which allows them to use the EMP to kill all the machines in the city. However, the commander is not too happy as it also kills all the defenses and leaves them vulnerable for more attacks. And oh my god, we see the giant swarm of machines coming to destroy Zion. But back to Neo, Mm -hmm. who has made it to the center and bargains with the machine who agrees and sends him back into the Matrix to fight Smith. Another epic fight ensues. Lot of interesting effects. I do like the rain scene. It yeah. did make for pretty sounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Neo giving up and being taken over by Smith, which then the machine uses to infiltrate and explode all the other Smiths, defeating him and ultimately killing Neo as well. So Neo sacrificed himself. Uh-huh. But with the deal made by Neo, this stops the war with a truce, and we see all the machines leaving Zion. And as Zion celebrates in relief, we see that the Matrix is rebooted and the return of the Oracle, Sati, and Seraph. As it ends, we watch the Oracle and the architect, who, by the way, is the one at the source, remember, uh, who had referred to themselves as the mother and the father of the Matrix, discuss the current state of truce, allowing for peace for, quote, as long as it can, and the humans who desire to be unplugged to do so. We also see Sati, who has made a beautiful sunset to honor Neo, asking if they would ever see Neo again, to which the Oracle replies, I think so. Hmm. And it ends with the basis of belief, meaning if not knowing for sure if it would end this way, but believing it would, because that's how she said when Seraph asked her, did you know? And she says, I didn't, but I believed. Um, so that's Finn. <laughs> or is it? Or is it? <laughs> Gosh. There will be a test at the end of this one, listeners. This is this is a lot. <laughs> We finally arrive at The Matrix Resurrections, which is a 2021 American sci-fi action movie that is directed and produced and co-written by Lana Wachowski. Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Fisher reprise their roles of Neo and Trinity and Jada Pinkett Smith 
as a much older Niobe. I forgot how badass she is in those movies, man. It's a good yeah. pilot. Also, Lambert Wilson as the Merovingian returns, and a plethora of new actors playing old characters, including Yaha Abdul-Mateen II as Morpheus, Priyanka Chopra Jonas as Sati, and Jonathan Groff as Agent Smith, and plenty of new characters like Jessica Henwick as Bugs, and Neil Patrick Harris as the analyst. Okay, but yeah, the plot is confusing to condense. But essentially, this movie picks up 60 years after the events of Matrix Revolutions, um, though in the Matrix construct in the film, it's been 20 years. Okay. Um, Neo, once again going by the name Thomas Anderson, is a successful video game developer for the company Du Machina, who created the hit series The Matrix, and is now working on a series called Binary. But he has trouble distinguishing reality from fiction. And as the audience, you do too. And I think that's very purposeful. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, ever since he's tried to fly by stepping off the roof at an award ceremony, he's been in therapy and he takes blue pills his therapist, played by Neil Patrick Harris, prescribes. Many of his episodes involve him believing the Matrix is real and that he is in fact Neo and is once again trapped in a virtual world. There are hints at the Matrix everywhere, including the therapist Black Cat, Deja Vu is its name, though it's implied this is an instance of life-influencing art, as in he didn't like the cat, so he named something in his game based on the cat. And there is a woman named Tiffany, uh, played by Carrie-Anne Moss, who Neo keeps running into at a coffee shop named Simulate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany is a married mom and she does remind Neo of Trinity and the two strike up a friendship. Neo is informed by his boss that they are making a new Matrix game despite the fact that Neo refused to do so and doesn't want to do so. In the brainstorming process, Neo starts to feel like he's on a treadmill, getting nowhere, he stops taking his pills. At the same time, he is secretly running a modal, um, which for our purposes is basically a simulation used to develop game characters. Uh, it is running on a loop, playing at the moment where Trinity discovered Neo over and over again, but something's kind of off about it. Real-world rebel Bugs discovers it and a computer program embodying Morpheus in there, and she rescues this uh, program, Morpheus. They also learn that Neo is alive and in the Matrix and make plans to extract him. After a botched first attempt, Neo describes to try his hand at flying again, only for Bugs to stop him and get him out, and it's revealed his boss is Agent Smith. So he's like, boss at the game company, played by Jonathan Groff, is Agent Smith. Okay, so... Neo awakes in a pod and sees Trinity in the pod next to him, but she is not rescued. He is taken to a new human city that is led by General Niobe, who tells Neo that thanks to him and his efforts, some machines have defected and joined up with the humans, something many never believed possible. Neo asks Niobe to allow him to try to rescue Trinity, but she refuses, locking him up. With the help of Bugs and crew, Neo escapes and they enter the Matrix where they encounter a bunch of exile programs, including Smith, who is now kind of a Silicon Valley bro, and the Merovingian. They want to return the Matrix to its original form. In the ensuing fight, Neo slowly recovers his abilities. The flight still eludes him. They locate Trinity, but Neo's therapist reveals he's a program called the Analyst who can manipulate time. He's got his villain monologue telling Neo he was created to study the human psyche, and after Trinity and Neo's death, he resurrected them to study them, eventually realizing that if he suppressed their memories but kept them close 
enough to each other that they were like almost always touching, but not quite. This was the most effective way to run the Matrix. It was the most efficient. When Neo was freed from his pod, it triggered a fail-safe reboot, but the analyst convinced his bosses to put it off that Neo would voluntarily return if he threatened to kill Trinity. Neo and Co. make a very complicated plan to free Trinity, and Neo makes a deal that if Trinity decides to stay in the Matrix rather than wake up, he will return to his pod voluntarily. A confrontation ensues. It looks like all is lost, but then Trinity reclaims her identity. The analyst tries to kill her, but is attacked by Smith, who is angry that he was trapped in the Matrix 2. A big end fight follows, and when cornered, Neo and Trinity jump off a building, but it turns out now Trinity can fly. Trinity has control over the Matrix, um, and she and Neo return to confront the analyst and tell him they are going to make the Matrix as they see fit, and then they fly away together. The end? (laughs) So far, yeah, like you said, Samantha, it's gotten mixed reviews, but it definitely has a lot of interesting stuff going on. Also, after repeatedly saying they did not want a sequel to The Matrix after Matrix Revolutions, Lana Wachowski said she came up with this idea one night when she couldn't sleep after her parents and one of her best friends died in 2019 in separate instances, and she said it was comforting to return to these characters, and that's where all this idea came from. And so, first of all, listeners, thank you for sticking around. (laughs) It's a lot. But there are a lot of interesting themes when it comes to feminism around these. Um, I did want to touch on, you know, speaking of returning to characters that are comforting to you, this movie is extremely meta. This new one is extremely so meta. It's very nostalgic. Uh, Christina Ricci pops up as Guinevere, uh, which I thought, I mean, these movies have always been very symbolic. There's a lot right. of thought around, you know, the names that people choose. But also, I remember my friend Katie's mom gave me a book of, like, the religion of the Matrix. It is very, like, Neo, the one, Jesus, you got Zion, right. like, all of these things. Uh, I love Du Machina, binary. It's very on the nose with a lot of what it's doing. Right. <laughs> I mean, I told you, like, when I originally watched this or when this originally came out, I was really big into the Christian world and we were teaching a lot of different courses. And, of course, it had to be relevant. And at that point in time, Matrix was very, very relevant. And it was used for curriculums literally to teach about Jesus and being what it looks like to have a Savior and being unplugged. So getting out of the secular world into the Christian world and what that really looked like. Like, it really made a flip. And uh, when I was reading about these things, they said there's thousands upon thousands of essays based on these movies to the point that the writer, I think it was the Vox writer um, that we're going to talk about in a minute, said they couldn't find all of them. And and it was just like a very rough Mm -hmm. like look to it. And of course it has. It has been translated into so many, whether it's conspiracy theories and or awakening ideas and or any of these things, it has led to a lot of reckoning within our culture to the point that the Matrix is literally, people know what you are referring to are we in the Matrix? Yeah. Yeah, they had a huge cultural impact. I mean, if if you somehow missed it, listeners, everyone was quoting them. Everyone was doing the bullet time stunts, discussing what they meant. If it was possible, we were living in a computer simulation. It changed film technology and film at large when they came out. These did come out when we were slowly getting like more and more people. We'd had the internet in our homes for a while. More and more people had 
computers or phones. It was like technologically kind of happening alongside and we did have these questions. So the commentary on the DVD for The Matrix is the most awkward commentary I've ever heard. (laughs) I don't normally listen to DVD commentaries, but like I said, I was a huge fan. And it was between like the special effects guy who came up with Bullet Time and one of the producers. And they got in like a fight in the middle and there was just silence for about 30 minutes. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So if you want to, if you love that awkwardness, that's for you. I can't handle it. But... It's it's intense. And then the, the producer tried to like make amends and he was like, I like that effect. And the guy was like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in this new movie, there is a, a whole scene where there's a brainstorming session where they ask like, what did people like about the Matrix? And they, you know, say like bullet time or the big fight scenes or that it messed with your head uh, or that it was about trans rights. And that has been one of the conversations around these because when we're looking at, you know, directly or not, uh, how people interpreted this, um, some people did think, you know, it's trans politics and, you know, the dead naming real name when Neo says, like, my name is Neo. And after Lana and Lily transitioned, this became a really popular interpretation of the meaning of the first three, which is directly commented on in the meta first act of Resurrections when a developer says, like, yes, the Matrix was about trans politics. Right. The character Switch was written as trans in the first movie, but the depiction was changed at the last minute because the studio was confused. And in the 2020 documentary Disclosure, Lily Wachowski said, The Matrix was all about the desire for transformation, but it was all coming from a closeted point of view. Right. That was a huge deal. And coming out later, we kind of had this conversation, you and I, because when it came out, it was the Wachowski brothers. Um, And I was like, huh, how does this work? Because they made a huge name for themselves and both of them transitioned. Mm -hmm. Of course, it was a few years apart when they came out. And it's beautiful. I'm like, well, this is amazing. I love claiming this for the trans community because it really does feel like, huh, there's a lot to be said when you see the background. Now, of course, I don't think... They did say this, but I don't think they tried to push that as what they were trying to say Mm -hmm. to the point like there has been an argument about who's claiming the movie for what it was. And of course, being Mm. from that religious background, seeing this now, I'm not going to lie, I smile knowing that they were wrong. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's funny because they've both been pretty outspoken about how it kind of annoys them when people are so like, what does the Matrix mean? Um, and all all of these examinations into it. And I think it's funny that they sort of, well, they talk about it at the beginning of Resurrections. Of, I think somebody says like, I don't want to, I don't want to have to have a syllabus to understand <laughs> this game. Right. But it, it is, yeah, yeah. It, it oh, is me, interesting um, how... Pe- let me put this in real quick. When yeah. I say they were wrong, I meant the Christian world was wrong. That that, that narrative yeah. was wrong, not the trans community. The, right. The narrative of the Christian, because I think I'd said that weirdly. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, and we're going to return to that in a second because oh, that's another thing that I think has been very frustrating is how this has been co-opted and completely used in a way that was not... The intent. Um, (laughs) There are several conversations around binary 
in in this new one. And even if it comes down to the pill, you know, the red or the blue. There's also the casting of two gay men, Groff and Harris, as villains. While there's been a very long and troubled history of having queer-coded villains, this choice seems very purposeful. For Smith, some view Hugo Weaving's portrayal of him in the original as sort of a closeted, like, preacher, a priest kind of thing. Self-loathing, very conversion therapy type. Like, he just loathes. Yeah, he hates himself. It's, like, dripping off of him. He's always trying to squash anything outside of the accepted, quote, natural order. In Resurrections, many interpreted Groff as playing him as out of the closet. Uh, And there are many lines directly commenting on Neo and Agent Smith shipping, which that's when I was thinking of that video game, I am the Alpha to your Omega. It's a bit different with the fan fiction world now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. (laughs) I'm thinking this is more of an infinite space thing, but maybe not. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> but kind of going back to your point, they've also, um, the Wachowskis have also said, while like the reading of trans rights and trans politics is, you know, definitely part of it, it's not, it was like meant to be not just that, like also right. gay men. Also, like, you know, everybody under the queer umbrella, but that it was purposeful, the the casting choice here and including gay men because as the audience we know right you know these are two very well-known gay men some even think that having the game series the matrix in the movie symbolized rainbow capitalism or performative lgbtq plus allyship um which i thought was an interesting i mean interesting interpretation the the original movies they really did believe in uh like that was a a statement against capitalism in itself. Like, they yeah. went to that mm-hmm. point, and I'm like, oh. And as a high schooler coming into college, I didn't understand capitalism as it is. Like, what, what, why are we raging against capitalism? It just sounds a very communist-like type of talk, which, mm-hmm. you know, we've grown, and I'm like, oh, I get it. I get it. I get the impact. Uh, but at that point, Dad, that's not what yeah. I saw. Of course, it again, movies like this fit to your narrative. Oftentimes, it speaks to you in that point of view. So for me, it was not necessarily about capitalism, but looking back, it was. It was a conversation about who controls what and how it's controlled and who owns what and who's allowed what. Yes, which is a great segue into what we need to talk about now, which is this whole red pill um, choice and systems of control. So... These movies do look at various systems of control, whether it is capitalism or whether it is, you know, machines or drudgery or what what have you. Family for women, for example. Uh, Medication therapy, though. The message isn't that these things are bad. It's that if they consume you, if you can't look beyond anything else, that's bad. Another is rebellion in itself, at how these acts get co-opted in a capitalist system and lose their meaning or even used to further control people. And we've talked about that with feminism before, how companies don't have good feminist track records, but they'll still sell stuff to make money off of feminism. Right. And I think, yeah, we could add religion into there as well because there was that interpretation and that kind of as you said, not everyone believes Neo was the one. And then for the architect to say, yeah, you're just another system of control, that's interesting. I mean, this definitely goes back to what our fellow watcher was talking about with his own experience and feeling like the cult and, and being part of the system. Yes. And him like seeing this and really enlightening him to leave 
what he considered a cult and uh, finding his own way. Again, though, it's really interesting to, to, to me because I saw the flip of trying to convert people into their mm. belief system. So again, because mm-hmm. that would be Morpheus. Morpheus is the prophet who's trying to bring it in. Yeah. Neo could have been the one. I think the idea that not only was Neo the one that was, I mean, essentially Morpheus becomes kind of a godlike in himself mm-hmm. and when he becomes the head of all of the things. So a lot of conversations to be had and whether, and also Smith taking over all of those others becoming his own god or savior. Yeah. One of the things I would love to talk about at length, but we don't have the time now, but one, I was really influenced by how these movies explain choice um, and destiny and fate, which could also be another another thing of control. But I don't know. It just really influenced how I, how I think about that whole thing. But yeah, um, so as you said, People will, a lot of stories like this, especially if it involves, like I would say, like feelings of disempowerment and rebellion, people will see it and make sense of it in their, in their lives and how they, they view it. And one of those we have seen from these movies is the whole idea of the red pill when it comes to like incels or just, you know, groups like don't, that don't like women. So in this new one, they comment on that too. There's discussion of sheeple, conspiracy theories, how people will believe anything, alt-right Matrix fans. It's definitely implied that the sheeple are the people who who are believe these conspiracy theories. Yeah, there is a definitely not-so-subtle simmering rage and condemnation of red pill alt-writers. We could and should do a whole episode on this, but Briefly, in The Matrix, yes, taking the blue pill means staying in a false reality. Taking the red one means waking up. And the Wachowskis were inspired by a scene in Total Recall for all of this. Taking the red pill also implied you got cool fighting skills. um, You got to take on the man. As the internet and technology and concerns about AI became more ubiquitous, it got co-opted by bad faith internet people to mean waking up from the lies of liberalism and democracy. The answer is fascism and hating women in their eyes and that uh, you you wake up to see that women are working against you and it's all rigged and systems against you. The Reddit page r slash red pill went up in 2012, though the term red pill appealed in a 2010 MRA in a post that um, contained this comment, MRA being men's right activist, um, quote, women are the natural enemies of men. No matter what anyone says and how good women claim to be, that is just the truth. This will never stop and men will continue under the tyranny of women. In 2018, r slash pill had 300,000 followers. The founder was a Republican lawmaker named Robert Fisher who once said, every woman wants to be attractive enough to be raped. <sighs> so gross. All of this is so gross. Um, in 2020, Elon Musk tweeted, take the red pill, to which Ivanka Trump responded, taken, and Lily Wachowski responded, 
Fuck you both. <laughs> and, and by the way, when I was researching this, uh, at one point, someone claimed, and I don't know if he did it with a plant or what, but Elon Musk was the Neo. As in, like, he would be the one, the one oh, that was freeing wow. us from the system. And I'm like, that is the biggest, who, who, <laughs> who said this and why? Why are you trying to ruin such mm-hmm. an amazing character with this? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And it's just so tragic and frustrating. I can imagine to have like your work taken and used in a way that is antithetical to who you are. Right. What you believe. Like that, that, but, he would be the Agent Smith. He would yeah. be the architect yeah. in this thing. <laughs> right. What are y'all talking about? Right, right. And it, it's so commonplace like to hear there's a documentary about it. You, you, people use it in all kinds of parlances, um, terms of phrase. Joe Rogan recently said, I took ivermectin and it's part of my red pill regimen. Is he drinking his own pee now? Oh, no. Lord, I don't know. I hope so. Try to stay away from that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Uh, and yeah, yeah. As I, as I was saying, more than the scope of this podcast, but there's also Red Pill Black, which is a YouTube channel by Candace Owens about anti-liberal ideas around Black people. She made a big deal when she befriended Kanye. She founded the organization Blexit. Oh, yeah. It was ugly. Yeah. And when we were talking about Red Pill Black, I said Black Pill, which we kind of mentioned earlier uh, on another episode in which they have taken the Red Pill, Blue Pill, Black Pill. And Black Pill has become a force of violence, essentially taking Mm -hmm. down women by violence. And I was like, wow, that's a trend. And not only did they one-up what was already being completely tainted uh, and what was... well. And I was thinking about the Suga, and we talked about it, because they don't overtly say it in the new movie about who is the one that's taking the red pill. Uh, so either side, just kind of like the original movies when it was the religious, non-religious, either side could say, I'm the hero in this movie. I'm the right one in this movie, yeah. because it was never forced, like said out loud, which they shouldn't, honestly, as a movie in something that's like, you can't necessarily lead the audience too much like that. I guess for like a movie like Matrix, which already has the conspiracy, whatever, they don't want to tell you the conspiracy. You need to choose that for yourself. Right. But it has spawned so much. So the black pill has been created as a whole other level in several different interpretations. And the one that we mentioned during our TikTok episode was this, which is really concerning mm-hmm. because they're making this even worse. Like, why? Yeah, it is very, very concerning. And also... A point that you made in there that I think is important is I just feel like we're seeing a trend of mostly angry white dudes who feel like they, for some reason, have been um, limited in what they can do. Or like everything that's gone wrong in their life is because the system is against us. And that being, you know, like women, whatever it is. But It's almost a level of LARPing and playing a game and envisioning yourself as the hero, um, which is very, very scary because that can lead to a lot of violence. And if you think, you know, you're the hero for fighting against this system, it just, I think like the, the insurrection at the Capitol had that layer of it too, of people think, oh, I am the hero in this story because I'm fighting against the system. And they also did have a lot of the rhetoric with the red pill mm-hmm. uh, and conspiracy theories as yeah. well. Yeah. So moving on, we did want to talk about trauma because, again, women and marginalized folks experience higher levels of trauma. And certainly if you're taking the trans politics reading of this, there's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of dead naming. 
So in the new one, you get to see Neo's reaction to realizing he is once again trapped in a virtual reality, which is juxtaposed against disconcerting differences, like different actors playing the characters of Morpheus and Smith um, that make this a very upsetting and confusing experience for him. There are flashbacks, and even if painful for Neo, sometimes these feel more real, though he fictionalizes some of the most painful memories as something from a video game. After the first encounter at the office with Morpheus and Smith, Neo appears in his therapist's office, and he's breathing heavily, he's clutching his jeans, he's using these grounding techniques that we've talked about, trying to grasp what is real, what is past, and what is present. As the audience, we are as confused as Neo um, at this juncture. Was it all a mental break? Is the Matrix real? However, the therapist slash analyst is dismissive and controlling, kind of like experiences we've talked about of what <laughs> how damaging it can be if you find a really bad therapist from Emily Vanderwerf at Vox, and I hope I didn't butcher your name. Quote, so let me posit this. The Matrix Resurrection's use of trauma as a seemingly trendy buzzword is similarly in conversation with modern blockbuster culture. The analyst invocation of trauma isn't meant as a strike against the concept of trauma as one that blinds us to the true nature of reality. It's a strike against anyone who would use trauma as an all-purpose boogeyman. It's a strike against trauma as a cheap storytelling device. If we fans demand that our favorite characters return again and again, then we never afford them any sort of final piece or closure. We are asking them to constantly relive their own worst moments, the names of our entertainment. We are inadvertently trapping them in a trauma spiral and then in stories that insist you can confront your trauma and blow it up if you're sufficiently motivated. What's more, the analyst reveals late in the film that he recovered Neo and Trinity's dead bodies and rebuilt them. He's the one who literally resurrected them. If we're talking about superfans trapping characters in traumatic spirals, then the analyst does that very thing with Neo and Trinity. He doesn't allow them even the closure of death. He resurrects them and forces them into the roles he likes best, ineffectual drones who are forever yearning to be together but never quite connecting. A new character played by Jessica Henwick, the super rads ship Captain Bugs, who rescues Neo from the Matrix, isn't textually a mental health professional, but she serves as a mirror image of the analyst. She too is a Matrix fan, but she's a Matrix fan who wants to help Neo move on to another phase of his story and its life. She wants him to change and be capable of change. We can want that for him too. Boom. I love that because yeah. I, we've talked about that a lot about, you know, I'm about to see Scream 5 and I'm like, she's never going to live a happy life as long as we're making these movies. Cindy's <laughs> never going to be happy and I want her to be happy. <laughs> it's true. You know, I did think too, um, as I was saying from our beginning of describing all the, the movies, yeah. that she is at the beginning of this movie as the window washer. So I really feel like they did a parallel in making sure you had those mm -hmm. two perspectives because now he's not afraid of heights. He's trying to jump off, but doesn't. The window washer watches mm -hmm. and is unplugged because of that. That felt like very like on point to the Wachowskis yeah. and what they would do. And that's how they introduced her. And she is now the captain. Um, and her and Niobe mm -hmm. are at odds because Niobe has now become more like the commander who she was at odds mm -hmm. with so oftentimes and no yeah. longer believed. Believed. So there were so many things mm -hmm. to that that I was like, it really does. They do a good job of layering. They really do a good job of honoring uh, these different uh, players in the old school. Although there was some like uh, controversy about where all the old uh, characters and, and so a few of them saying, we didn't know this was happening. Congratulations, I guess, uh, yeah. <laughs> essentially. Uh, but I think they did it really well and it makes sense to this point. 
And also with this, I did think it was important that we talk about the savior versus community, uh, because one theme that can and has been co-opted a lot is the idea of saviors or the one. Like almost every adventure movie, we have it. That one that is prophesized or, or the one which is the whole of the first movie, which is what we see with The Matrix. But I did love the other two. And in that same Vox article, they mentioned loving the two just as much and having a while like, to be like, calm down, calm down. Don't hate me because I really like these. Mm-hmm. But because of what it was doing with the fact that it was the community and it was a larger theme of battling it together, it really couldn't be just the one. They had to do it together or it would have all failed. Um, and I, I like that in the second and the third one, they talk about the captains and the council who are a part of the decision-making, t- holding things at bay. Um, I also love the little guy saving the day, the dude who was a 16-year-old that was yeah. an idolized Neo, but became mm-hmm. one on his own and really took up the mantle to save the day because he was so grateful to be free. And then, of course, we have the trio, the Trinity, Morpheus, and Seraph uh, coming in to rescue Neo. And that's the other part to that that I really did love is that Trinity is oftentimes rescuing him as much as he is rescuing her. And I think that needs to be said. Uh, I also do love the turn, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, in the new one where she becomes the one. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that because Trinity, there's a lot of, like speaking of red pills, in this new Matrix she is called Tiffany. She has kids. She's married to a guy named Chad, <laughs> which is very incel name. I was like, uh-huh, see what you did there. And she just has a lot of interesting character notes where, like, there's a one point where she talks about how her husband laughed at her um, at her observation that she was like Trinity in this game. And he, he was laughing as if, you know, never, you could never be. And how angry that made her. And there's a lot of sexist language used against her by the analyst who says, like, why did you heal for a bitch for so long? He says to Neo, can't you control her? Women used to be so much easier to control all of these things. And it was it was nice because I've always, like, re-watching him, I'm like, oh, yeah, I loved Trinity. She yeah. was so awesome. Um, she's so badass. Like, it's never a question. She is awesome. And she's the captain. And I love that scene where she's like telling Neo, like, if you don't like it, you can go to hell. Like, I'm the captain here. (laughs) I'm going. But I also think it's really interesting and I'm glad to see kind of this progression that in the first one, the whole, her whole Oracle thing is essentially like this guy, you're going to fall in love with this guy and that's going to kind of seal his fate. And so... She's sort of defined like through loving Neo, which is at their core, I think these are like romance action movies. <laughs> They're very romantic. Well, the whole sequence with the architect in the second movie is the basis and the trivialness of human emotion and love and love being the crux of destruction, mm-hmm. which again is kind of also the themes in many uh, adventure movies such as this. Uh, you see that mm-hmm. same level of like the love will save you, love will save you, which is a nice thought. Yeah. But I, I also think <laughs> that I do love that in this third one she has the idyllic life but that's not what she wanted um, and, and, and it, it can mm-hmm. resonate for many who thought this is what they wanted but maybe it wasn't mm-hmm. and not seeing themselves mm-hmm. not seeing themselves fully and I think it also says to something about trans women who are trying to figure themselves out and finding that perfect life and then realizing that's not what they wanted either because by all accounts the Wachowskis were successful 
Uh, and mm-hmm. as technically as men probably had a lot more opportunities given to them because they were seen as white men. And we know when it comes to the hierarchy of who has more power, but now coming out as trans, you know, has a whole different point of view and it disrupts their, their what would be idyllic life to this newfound place of finding themselves again. And, and knowing though mm-hmm. that idyllic life wasn't what they wanted. And so this, and it wasn't right. satisfying. And I feel like that could be a conversation in itself, which uh, she does nicely. Lily does nicely in this portion of a scene. I think it reflects on her a little bit. Maybe I'm pro- projecting. Mm-hmm. But I also like how that the first movie versus the two and three. So we were trying to find the one. And so her mm-hmm. role is a guardian protector and she is badass ready there she's the one that's pulling him in and and really mentoring him and then the second and third one she kind of slides into the background as as like the uh the love interest not really because she still does badass moves like that that you know car Mm -hmm. scene chase all of that but still it's like it's about her and him and her trying to find him and making sure he's in you know in the right place and right time and then we come back in the fourth where they're trying to find her and she is the missing link and she is the one that's got Mm -hmm. that so I do like that flip a lot I am imagining half the criticism is coming from men who are like eh but I mean Neo he's the one Why, why would he you know really hating that right. portion of this. Uh, but again, like, I love the fact that, yes, not only is she one, but they are partners. We are back to this. And yeah. she is ready to go. hmm Yeah, I like that. They're, they're partners, and they're both so... They're so badass. <laughs> and together, they're going to fly off and paint rainbows into the Matrix, it is implied. Also, that whole, like, prophecy of loving somebody gave me what I think is one of my best stories I've ever written, and maybe we'll get to it on the Sminty Fiction one day. (laughs) (laughs) But for now, wow, what a journey. (laughs) There's so much we could expand on in here. Definitely a lot of things going on. So listeners, you've got any suggestions, things you would like us to talk about more? then we would love to hear from you. You can email us at stephaniamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stephanonevertoldyou. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Also a badass. Oh yeah. <laughs> and thanks to you for listening. Stuff on Never Told You's production about iHeartRadio. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 